This is November, as Angie said. We all know that. Time fell back this past uh, night. So we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I'm sure you're going to be hungry in about 30 minutes as well. So with that thought in mind, since it is the month of Thanksgiving, let's just have an informal poll amongst ourselves. Turkey or ham for Thanksgiving? Turkey. Raise your hand. Ham. Ham wins. Dressing or stuffing? Dressing. Stuffing. Tom. I'm sorry. It's all right, Tom. This is no shame here. Um, Pie or cake? Pie. Cake. Put your hands down, people. (laughs) Miss Brenda, you can't vote twice. Oh, you like them both. Okay. All right. There we go. Real cranberry sauce or the cranberry sauce that comes out of the can, the jellied stuff? Jellied cranberry. Real cranberry. Don't care. Yeah, all right, there we go. You'll like them both. So I just, I just wanted to have a moment where we just kind of think about Thanksgiving and the foods that we eat that we like. It's a time for families to gather. It's a time for us to celebrate. It's a time for us to be grateful. Today and this whole month, I want you and me to think about being thankful specifically for more than just food and even more than family. Today, I want us to think about being thankful for Jesus because Jesus is the one who truly makes it all possible. He makes it real. He makes it a lot. I mean, Jesus is the reason we are here, and he is the only one who truly gives us hope. He gives us peace. He gives us purpose. He gives us eternity. And with all of that, I want us to think about being thankful for Jesus today. Now, last year, I shared with you some things that I wanted our church to do and focus on this year. And one of those things was sort of a refocus on our children's ministry. When I counted just the kids up here today, I think I counted 10. I think I counted 10, and there was at least a couple more scattered out. And that's amazing and phenomenal, and that doesn't include the children that are in the nursery this morning. Which, by the way, we still need a couple or two people, which a couple is two people, to serve in the nursery. Uh, Justin and Jesse have been begging, we've been praying, and we have yet to see that role filled. Am I correct? Yes, I am. So I am saying to you, we need those two people because we prayed for babies. Now, some of you may say, no, you prayed for preacher. Preacher, you prayed for babies. I didn't. No, we prayed for babies. And we prayed for children, and God's answered that prayer, and God's laying it on somebody's heart to serve in the nursery. Just two people. Come on, step up to the plate and do what you got to do. All right, with that said, we focused on children this year. And as you've seen, we've got the children out for a big part of the service. They get to hear us sing. They get to sing themselves. And it seems to be working phenomenal. And for that, I'm very grateful. We also said this year that we wanted to focus on worship. And I issue the challenge to our church to add some instrumentation, nothing wrong with the piano, but to add a guitar or something. And guess what? Miss Heather stepped up, and uh, there you are, I'm sorry. She stepped up, and she said, I'm nervous. I don't know if I can, but she stepped up. She's been playing almost every Sunday, 
And God has blessed us, and I know that God has blessed you as well. Heather, thank you so much for what you did. And we also said that we wanted to work on our discipleship. We, since COVID, we've not had as many in Sunday school, and that one is still a work in progress. So we'll hear more about that going forward. The other thing that I said I wanted us to work on and improve was something that's still lacking, and it's something called salvations, baptisms. We have only, I think, this year baptized one. Is that correct? Is my memory correct? One person. We can do better than that. We need to do better than that. And so I share those things with you today to say this. I want us to think and pray about as a church, what can we do to get, well, to change that? God called us to make disciples. God wants us to celebrate Jesus. And, and it's amazing that we know Jesus. I think most everyone here this morning, we are in a relationship with Jesus. We know what he did. We know that he died on the cross. We know that he did it for our sins. We know that he was buried, and we know that he was raised from the dead. And we have said, Jesus, I am your child. I am your follower, and you are in my heart, and I want to grow in my faith. And we're doing that, but what we're not doing is sharing that message like we should. And so I want us today to think about what it means to be thankful for Jesus. I mean really thankful for Jesus. John, in this chapter, John 4, later in the chapter, verse 35, this is what Jesus said. I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, open your eyes, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We ought to be thankful for the harvest that God is giving us. The fields around us the field of our family. Think about your family, your children, your grandchildren, your brother, your sister, maybe your mother, your father, your cousin, your niece, your nephew. Think about the people that you work with. Think about the people that live in our little area here, Pleasant Ridge. There are so many people who are going through their life without hope. They're looking in all of the wrong places for peace, meaning, and purpose. And we who are here, who know Christ, we are thankful for Jesus, but we're not really expressing to others as we should. Think about that. And so this morning, I want you to think with me and pray with me about not only who are we in Christ, but have a a broken heart for those who are not in the fold because that is so vitally important. Now, I'm going to read one verse from chapter 4. Well, technically, this will be the second verse, so let me correct my grammar. This is the second verse I'm going to read. This one will be on the screen. It is verse number 10. This is what we read. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, And who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would ask him, and he would give you living water. There it is, in a more better way. So think about that for just a moment. Jesus was traveling from Jerusalem back to Galilee. Galilee is sort of his hometown, his home region. 
And in between Jerusalem and Galilee was this area called Samaria. And in Samaria, there were people there called the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. The Jewish people, by and large, did not like them. They really did not care for them. But when Jesus made this journey, this is what he said to his disciples. We're going back to Galilee, and we're going to go through Samaria. Normally, Jewish people would avoid going through Samaria, and they would take a much longer route to get from one to the other. But Jesus, on purpose, said, we got to go through Samaria. And so he went. And when they came to this particular town, his disciples went into the town to get some food. Jesus sat down by a well, and the name of the well was Jacob's Well. And as he was sitting at this well, a woman came up to get some water. Aren't we fortunate today that most all of us can go to our kitchen or bathroom and turn a knob and water comes out? And I know some of you probably grew up with a good old-fashioned well but it was in your backyard. My mama talks about the well beside her back porch where they would draw the water for their house when they needed water. They didn't have running water when my mama was a little girl. And when we think about this situation, they had to leave their house and go to the town well to draw water for themselves. And Jesus was there and this woman came up, and they began to talk. Now, the interesting thing, if you want to read the whole story, I, I encourage you to do that. But in the story, the woman at first was amazed because she said, Excuse me, I'm a woman, and you're a man, and you're talking to me. And secondly, I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew, and you're talking to me. Jesus did not care about the social norms of that day. You see, back in his day, it was not customary for a man to have a public conversation with the woman. And because Jesus was Jewish, to have a conversation with the Samaritan was also a, like a no-no. And this woman said, you're Jewish and a man, and you're talking to me. And they had a conversation about water. Now, water is vital. We need water. We need water to to live. We can't live very long without water. Our body needs water. And so Jesus asked her for a drink, and as the conversation unfolded, then Jesus comes to the point, and he said this to her, the verse I just read. He said, if you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, who is speaking to you, give me a drink. So Jesus is saying, we've talked about water, and if you understood what God really wants to give you, this woman is not named other than Samaritan woman. So let's just call her, I don't know, Betty. Can we call her Betty? Hopefully I'll remember that five minutes from now. Let's just say her name was Betty. And so Jesus said, Betty, if you understood what God really wanted to give you, and if you really knew who was talking to you, Rather than me asking you for water, you would ask me for living water. Living water. Not H2O water. Not water that came out of a well underneath the earth. 
But you would ask me, Betty, for living water. And he went on to say, it will quench your thirst. It will quench your spiritual thirst. Now, this woman was amazed because she looked at Jesus and said, hmm, you don't even have a bucket. You don't have a rope. How are you going to get water? And I got it all. And Jesus basically told her, you just don't understand. And then he did something amazing. He looked at this woman and said, go get your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You've had five, and you're living with the man now. And then she was, wait a minute. How did you know such a thing? You must be a prophet. Jesus was not just a prophet. He was God in the flesh. God in the flesh was speaking to this woman and presenting to her something she desperately needed. This woman was looking in all of the wrong places for what she really needed. She looked to men, husbands, and guess what, ladies? Y'all know this probably. As amazing as your husband is, as gifted as your husband is, as incredible as your husband is, he cannot meet your darkest, deepest needs because he's just a man. I mean, I'm an amazing husband, by the way. I mean, on the husband scale of rocking it, I'm jamming. At least that's what Rhonda tells me at least once a week. Now, I do, I do know this. I can meet a lot of her needs, but I can't meet her deepest needs. And I certainly can't meet the need she needs above all other things. And the same is true for every woman. No person, male or female, can meet the most intimate need of every individual that has ever been born. Only God can meet that need. And so this woman was searching in all of the wrong places to have her deepest most heartfelt needs met, and she kept walking away empty. And Jesus said to her, I can give you living water that will quench your spiritual thirst. And so she went back into town. She told the people, I think I found the Messiah. And she told them all that they had talked about. And the town came, and as they were coming about this time, the disciples showed up. They saw them having this conversation. Jesus and the woman, they were amazed, like, oh, why were you talking to a woman? You shouldn't be doing that. But nobody said anything because they didn't want to, I mean, he was the master, the boss. You don't talk bad to the boss. And then Jesus said these words to his disciples, the words that I read earlier. He said, gentlemen, the fields are white unto harvest. In other words, you're about to see something you didn't expect for God to move in and amongst the Samaritans. And about that time, people from the town came to the well. And Jesus stayed there several days. And Scripture tells us from the story that many believed that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And their lives were changed. 
Now, I'm sharing this story with you to say to each and every one of us that in this story, Jesus still offers us the living water that will quench our spiritual thirst. And that's why we need to be thankful for Jesus because he and he alone can give us what we really need. And that's something called salvation. We are all sinners. We are all broken. We, we all have done something, said something. We've all disobeyed God. We have all been separated from him. And Jesus came to quench our spiritual thirst. This is not new to most of us. For those of us who've said, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. Yes, you are my Savior. Yes, I will be baptized. Yes, I will grow in my faith. For those of us who have done that, we are on a journey where God is walking with us and helping us. We're on a journey eventually to heaven. And for those of you who are saying, I know about Jesus and I know what you're talking about, but I've been unwilling or I've got time. I'm going to put that off. I'm not willing to say yes to Jesus. For you, you're still spiritually thirsty because you will never find what you're looking for in anything else. There's nothing in this world that will quench that thirst. No person, no job, no amount of money, No career, no relationship, and not even any other religion will quench that spiritual thirst. Only Jesus Christ can quench your spiritual thirst. And so this woman, she came to believe. She went into the town and others believed. Their spiritual thirst was quenched. I believe these people were really grateful for Jesus. And they were thankful that he changed their life. And Jesus said this to them, I am going to show you and love you even though you're Samaritans. See, there's some people we just don't mix and hang with, do we? Because they're not like us. I mean, Jesus said, I don't care about that. He reached across social, economic, racial, gender boundaries. And he said, these people, to his disciples and to us, they need to know that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the living hope. I am the living water. And I am willing to reach out to these folks and tell them I'm the only way. And he did. He set a model for us. I'm grateful Jesus did that. I really am. Because I get to meet a lot of people in my life. I get to meet a lot of people who have strange ideas. I get to meet a lot of people who are different colored skin than me. I get to meet people who speak languages that I don't often understand or they're from a place where I don't understand the language. I get to meet people who are wealthy and dirt poor. And guess what? We all share one thing in common. We all have a spiritual hunger a spiritual thirst. We all need Jesus. And so when we read this story, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I spiritually thirsty? Not only to know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, 
but do I have a thirst for him where I want to be like him and share that hope with other people? See, I think this is something our church needs to really think about. And our church meaning each and every one of us. Because if we have a thirst and a hunger for souls, then then we're going to see more people baptized. It's not just about us having some fun. It's not just about us coming and singing on a Sunday. It's not just about us, you know, having a sermon. It's not just about passing an offering plate. It's not just about having a children's program. It's not just about having Sunday school, but it's about us truly sharing the hope with people who have no hope. And this is something that that we've been failing in, honestly. We must do a better job with it. You see, people... People really deserve to know. Now, I am grateful for my salvation. Not long ago, I um, was just thinking about the night I was saved. I thought about a gentleman in in an assisted living home not long ago when I sang Amazing Grace to a patient in his room. They shared a room together. And as I was leaving, and I've shared this with you before, but I want you to hear it again, the man looked at me and said, how can you sing that song? And I asked, what do you mean by that? And he said, the phrase, a wretch like me. He said, I am not a wretch. Here's the reality. We're all wretches. We're all wretches. We are wretched The first sin we commit, we are wretched. We are separated from God, and they're without hope. Now, I was never a murderer, personally. I mean, I never killed anybody. I never committed, like, armed robbery. But I've done things that disobeyed God. I've been disobedient to my parents, I've dishonored them. I have had other gods. I've had impure thoughts in my brain. I was a normal teenager, by the way. Let's just be honest about it. Every teenage boy, I'm probably sure, if you're normal, you've had impure thoughts. And in girls, you probably have as well. You see, we could just go, we've probably all told a lie. I mean, especially white lies. My goodness gracious. How many white lies do we tell even now? We are are sinners. And the reality of that will never change. And Jesus said, I have come to forgive you of all of that. All of it. I have come to take every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit. And I will forget it. I will wash it with the blood that I shed on the cross. And then I will enter your heart and I will come into your mind and I will transform you and change you from within so that you could become the man or the woman that I truly wanted you to be in the very first place. But it begins with the moment we say yes to Jesus. 
And then we grow and we become a, a willing, yielding vessel of change. And we grow over time. When I first got saved, I was 18. When I went to Bruton Parker College in Mount Vernon, Georgia, it was a little Baptist school. That's where I met Rhonda. I don't know what college life is like today, but I went to a Baptist college. We were not allowed back in that day in that little school to enter beyond the domain of the doors at the girls' dormitory, meaning we could come into the lobby, we could sit and talk, but we couldn't walk where the rooms were, ever. I mean, it was like forbidden. Do you know why? And this was back in the late 70s, early 80s, because everybody knows how young teenage and college-age kids are. They know what you do and think. And so in Baptist school, they were like, nope, can't go there. If you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it off campus. They never said that. I mean, it was never allowed. But here's what I'm saying. When I was at the college, we had to go off campus even to wash our clothes. I had an experience at the laundromat. And this is what me and my buddies would do when we went to the laundromat. We would throw our clothes in, and then people would come in. I'm a brand new Christian. I am like a year, year and a half of my salvation. Folks would come into the laundromat with me and my little Baptist buddies. I almost feel sorry for them today. Within moments, as they're sitting there waiting for their clothes to wash and dry, we're telling them about Jesus. I mean, we are just, we are, we are, we are the crazy little college boys. And we, and I did that for years. And then as I got a little older, I became a little less sharing in my faith. You, you following me? I got mixed in with the Christian crowd. And I hung around less unsaved church people. Do you know why I did that? Because unsaved, unchurched people were different than me. They talked different from me. They had different goals, dreams, and aspirations than me. And I got sucked into the culture of being a good church boy. And that's been bothering me for a while. Now, I am sharing this with you to be very open and honest. I am thankful for Jesus. I am thankful Jesus saved me from my sins. I am thankful I have a home in heaven because of Jesus. I am thankful that Jesus walks with me every day of my life. I am thankful that Jesus gives me his peace. I am grateful and thankful for Jesus that he just does so many amazing things for me. But here begs the real question. Am I thankful enough for my salvation and what Jesus has done that I'm willing to go to the fields that are wide into harvest? Am I at the point where I'm willing to go to the Samaritan woman and say, you need something, and I've got the answer to what you need? 
Am I, am I thankful enough to talk to my children or my grandchildren or my neighbors and say, you need something, you just don't know what it is. I can tell you what you need. You see, that's what I'm trying to say this morning. If we're really thankful for Jesus, maybe we need to get a little uncomfortable and share our story with those around us. I can do that in hospice pretty easy, by the way. They kind of have a known, shortened lifespan. I mean, I've, I'm pretty blunt with those folk. I'm not as blunt with other folks. So please hear what I'm saying. I'm being very transparent with you right now. I'm being very open and very honest. So as your pastor leader, I'm saying it's changing. I don't want to go crazy on you but I want to go crazy for Jesus. And I want us to be crazy for Jesus. Because when we built this building, I remember Bobby Reed, who had a dream that one day this building would be full. I still have that dream. I had that dream not because we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what we did. I would rather say, Look at the lives that have been saved from hell because we follow Jesus. Look at the lives that have been spared from an eternity separated from God to those who are now in a relationship with Him. That means more to me than anything else right now. So this little thing that I've shared with you today, it may have seemed like it rambled. It probably did. But as rambly as it was, I hope you understand, I'm grateful for Jesus. I hope you are grateful for Jesus. I hope that you are more than just grateful for all Jesus is doing for you and has done for you. But I hope you will be motivated to say, I'm grateful enough, Jesus, that I want to tell other people my story. I care about their eternity.